It seems like yesterday that a kid named Javier Castellano started riding races here in the United States. It was actually in 1997. 20 years and four Eclipse Awards later, he'll take his place in the Racing Hall of Fame this coming August. Jockey Javier Castellano joins us next here on In the Gate. They're in the gate. They're in the gate. In the gate. They're in the gate. It's a hit-bobbing finish. This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well, which services the iTunes Store and TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app that you didn't even know that you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. At some point, it's not just the horses. There are plenty of quality jockeys that ride at the nation's top meets. But jockey Javier Castellano has really had the magic touch in each of the last four years. He's led all jockeys in earnings since 2013, and he capped each of those four years with an Eclipse Award. Jerry Bailey, ESPN alumnus, is the only other rider with four straight Eclipse Awards. And just a few weeks ago... Javier Castellano annexed his second Triple Crown race win. Always dreaming, Classic Empire's giving him a run for the money in Baltimore, and Classic Empire has wrested the lead away now from Always Dreaming with a quarter to go at Pimlico, and Julia Leperu and Classic Empire have a three-length lead, but Cloud Computing on the outside is coming with a run. Cloud Computing outside keeps on coming. Classic Empire, Cloud Computing, head-to-head down to the line. Cloud Computing wins up. Javier Castellano is only the fifth jockey ever in North America whose mounts have earned $275 million. And for that resume, which continues to grow, Javier Castellano's still very much in the prime of his career, you know. He'll be inducted into the Racing Hall of Fame in August. And we are pleased to welcome back here to Win the Gate, jockey Javier Castellano. How did you feel when you found out that you'd been elected to the Hall of Fame? I feel great. I mean, it was a great emotion when you announced it and they called me. They called me first and they gave me the news of being elect for Indoto Hall of Fame riding. Welcome to the to the club and welcome to the Hall of Fame riding in the history. When they say that, I mean, I was, I mean, it was in, it gone through my mind, a lot of things I went through to get here where I am and I'm very blessed thankful for those opportunities in came to my career. And you were 20 years old when you came here to the States, to Florida from Venezuela. What was the adjustment like for you, not knowing anyone, trying to prove yourself, leaving your native culture? What was that like? It was tough in the beginning. Uh, like you say, it's it hard to adjust me because you know, I didn't speak English by that time when I came here. Um, I didn't know nobody. I didn't have any friends. And basically, I just came for reference, and somebody recommended, and somebody had to knock at the door, and hopefully they can open the door for me, basically. And I just came with some ability, and that's only and to do something my 
usually uh, I like to work hard. I like to find better, better life, basically. And God bless America. This is the best country <laughs> in the world. And they give you opportunity. Um, a lot of people, they can open the door and you can do a lot of things for, for better, for good. And you life, and I can help you people too. I want to give you about something. And that's also, that's great. Um, that's the first thing that came to my mind when I came to this country and didn't speak English, the culture, the, and the food, and I be around the people that I didn't know before in the past and didn't met it before. And it, it was hard, but hey, it paid off. I'm very blessed, like I say. And a lot of people, they give me the opportunity to be where I am because if I was them, I think I would be here where I am. Was there a point at which you said to yourself, I can't do this, I'm going home? Yes, I did. Actually, I did. And then my first step when I came to this country, I applied for the paper, for working paper, to immigration. You have to wait for six weeks to approve. Actually, they told me four weeks. Well, we passed the four weeks, I'm going to... I mean, wrong out of patience a little bit. I get a lot of frustration. And I try to call the lawyers and try to speak to them. And they don't give me the answer. Hard to translate it because nobody is speaking Spanish at that time. Only one person, you only speak Spanish. And it's hard to, to get the person always so busy. And you can't through your mind. I don't know. I don't think this is for me. And I think I feel like, I don't think I'm meant to be to be here. Everything he doesn't fall in the right place in the right time, and everything is complicated, hard to speak to people, hard to get the paper get it done. I came to all in my mind get frustration. I was ready to leave. I told my agent, listen, I don't think it's meant to be for me here. I think I'm ready to leave. I'm gonna go back to my country when I leave in the next day, and he. His name is Duby Chaparro. He worked in Florida, South Florida in Gulfstream Park. He told me, no, you, you stay here. You don't go nowhere. You stay here and everything is going to go through and nothing is in the life you got to work for. They don't get to you. You have to burden it and you will be. You're going to be champion here, he told me. i never forget that sword. But in that moment, I was a junkie and, and a lot of things going through my mind. I think him. They were ready to leave at one point. Well, the scene in Florida was new for you when you arrived at Gulfstream, but racing certainly was not. Your late father, your uncle, and brother Abel have all been jockeys. What kind of influence have they been on you? A lot. I mean, my dad, he was my role model in my life. I would look up to him since I was a five-year-old. I remember I was a little kid. I can't wait to see my dad after the races. And we have a nighttime race in my country and my city where I used to be, where my dad used to be riding. And my ride rode for 25 years and my uncle for a couple of years. And he didn't make it that longer because he was tall. He didn't make the way. But he got up a horse for 25 years too also. And I grew up in, I mean, that, that early in the whole race, in the racetrack basically. And... I fall in love when I see my dad, he do what he did, and it's so cool. I see, man, see my dad ride the races and the horses, the animal, the powerful, the beautiful 
horses there are. And I think that's what I want to do in my life. And my dad, he don't want me to be chalky. I don't blame because I have a son. And my son is almost four years old, almost five. I don't want to see my kid be chalky. <laughs> because you want to give you the best for your kid, your, your best education, your best everything. But at the same time, it's beautiful sport, and it's so jeopardy. And not too many jockeys, they make it where they are in the level where thank God where I am. It's, I mean, it could be any sport, um, but it's, it's not to guarantee our our sport, our job, everything is really and, and you don't have a secure anything. You go for the day, you win you on. I think it does scare me the part. But because we love what we do, I think it is something like you don't think in that part. You, you go through the motion, you do what you do, and, and enjoy. Very blessed where I am. Well, the danger is, of course, one thing, but what do your wife and three children have to say about all the time that dad spends working and the time dad spends away? I think they're proud of what I do in my life. But at some point, they say, like today, today, Friday, usually they see me leave early, like 10, 30 in the morning to go to work. Usually I go in the morning early and come back, have a little break here, and then come back to the race at 10, 30, 11 o'clock, because the post time is 30. I feel so bad because I can spend the time with them, I think, at some point when maybe, hopefully, the long term is kind of appreciate what we've been doing, work hard for them. And but they do a little right now, and I don't think they understand. My wife is a wonderful person, and she's support me in my career all the time. I have to travel up, and and she raises the kids, and they give me the best example for the kids. I mean, very, very blessed. I'm very thankful for my family, my wife, my kids, and I have a great family. Thank God. It's something like you don't have a price for that. And the kids, they understand how to travel up. Sometimes they don't because they're a little kid. They want to play. They want to be the father all the time there. But hopefully one one day when they realize it is kind of it worked the way it is. Well, you'll turn 40 in October, and some of us like to think that 40 is really the new 20. But do you envision a point at which you'll start to approach riding the way Mike Smith does, not riding every race everywhere, but hitting mainly just the big ones? I think it's hard to, to an artist sport to, to determine what you want to be. I think it's hard because you go with the flow. Here, if you have a, a lot of business, if you have a lot of horses, you have a lot of opportunity, you, you ride. Some people do, some people don't. It's hard to be in the middle to be like, okay, I want to ride this horse, I don't want to ride those horses. I think it's hard, but I'm so proud of my Smith, the way he's been doing it almost past the 50, and still riding the best horse in the country. I think it's a, it's a blast to be in that spot. I don't think he, he determined to do that. I think he, he been working for that. I think he, that's what he felt, fall and play to him. I think is 
it's a blessing. I'm proud of him. And of course, don't get me wrong. I want to be in the same spot where he is. I'm going to be 40, but I feel like I'm 20 right now. Um, I feel the best my moment in my life and my career right now. Um, I take care of my body very well. I do a lot of exercises. I fry a lot of horses. That it keeps me more younger and more motivated to be competitive. I want to be competitive. I think I don't know how long I'm going to be riding, but if my body, he he's going to tell me one day, this is it. I think right now it don't come to my mind, not even close where I'm going to be. See, 40 really is the new 20. Jockey Javier Castellano is with us here on In the Gate. He'll be enshrined in the Racing Hall of Fame at Saratoga in August. Now, you switched agents about a year ago, going from Matt Musicar, who booked your mounts for seven years, to former New York Racing and Santa Anita Park official Mike Laco. And without going down that rabbit hole completely, it seemed that communication with trainers over which horses you'd be riding in which races was part of the reason for that change. It seemed like you never missed a beat. But what was it like trying to smooth those issues out? Well, I think yeah, I don't appreciate my, um, my music I did in my career. Um, we take the we take the pick. And um, seven years ago, when he took me my books, and um, I think um, he put me a, a, a lot of winning. We did really good. We worked together. We worked hard. We have a lot of success together. I think um, I give you a lot of credit. Um, to Matt Musica, the way he did it, and Mike Arreo, the way organizing my business and putting me in where I am right now. I think it was but a combination together. We both work hard, and and we have the all the results. And we win a lot of races. We win three, four, at least a world, because I think I believe the, four, the last is part of the, his success, too, also. And... It's amazing where we did uh, uh, many winners we, we won together. I think uh, it's part of my influence in my career. I think uh, I appreciate whatever he did with me. With my leg out now, right now, we basically, we maintain our business. Thank God everything doing the right way in my career. And a lot of support, the best time, the best training in the country. And a lot of people, they give me opportunity to keep continuing my career, continue to ride the horses where I'm being used to be riding in the past. I don't think you see any different. Unfortunately, you know, in any relationship, we need to have, a, you know, communication. And I felt like the last part, I didn't have it. And I think that's you know, part of the use, you know, we have to move forward and and make a change in my career. It's got to be just a statistical aberration that as sterling a record as Javier Castellano has produced the last decade, he's not only never won this country's most famous race, the Kentucky Derby, but he's the only jockey ever with 11 or more Derby starts who's never won it. In fact, he's never even hit the board in the Kentucky Derby and 0 for 11 in the Belmont. Where does the Kentucky Derby rank on your list of goals that you still have yet to achieve? I think it, it's part of the luck. It's nothing you can do. I've been being consistent and being working hard and trying to be searching the best horses, the best three-year-old campaign in my career. Um, it's part of the luck. Um, look at my record. I won the fight travel. 
American Pharaoh is battling on from the inside. He's showing all this fight with one furlong to run. And here on the far outside comes Keen Ice with a light grant. American Pharaoh put away Frosted. He has to deal with Keen Ice. Keen Ice has got him. Keen Ice has won the Travers over American Pharaoh in a dramatic upset. And... That's a major record. No, no one he won fight travel before, um, and I did it. And it's, it's the best three-year-old, same thing, and in the country, the best three-year-old is still developing all this. But the Kentucky Derby, I think, is part of the luck. Um, it's amazing. Like Mario Gutierrez, he rode two Kentucky Derby. He won two Kentucky Derby. And um, Stuart Elliott rode one time. He won the first time he rode. He won. I think you need to be involved too, and nothing you can do. I'm being searched. I think that's one thing it made me motivate me, made me more excited to look for and keep fighting all the way to hopefully one day I can say I win the derby. And just to keep working hard and try to find the best horse in the country and keep praying. I think you're pretty tight with John Velasquez, whose induction happened five years ago at the Hall of Fame. I remember him becoming very emotional on stage at that ceremony. Has he talked with you about what you can expect the experience to be like? We talk about it. Um, John is such a great jockey. He's such a great person. I think uh, John Velasquez can put myself in... One of the best jockey I ever see in my entire life. Um, I would say personal and an athlete. It's a very sample for every single one. The way he been doing his career, the way he compose himself, and he he give a lot of things to give it back to the to the industry, the whole races, and every single space. You know, I think I believe it's a Great guy. I'm being spoiled a lot. I've been learning a lot from him. And we he just he, he, one thing I remember he told me go through the motion, you know. That's the best moment in your life and your career. You've been right for 20 years and express what you feel in your heart because it's 20 years. <laughs> but you have to describe it in 20 years, you have to describe it. And just in 10, 15 minutes. Enjoy your moment, he said. Enjoy your life. Enjoy your moment. Express what you feel you like to do it. And nothing you can do is in, it's your moment. You have to enjoy that. The moment comes in August for Javier Castellano, soon to be Hall of Famer. Thank you so much for a few minutes and continued success. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it for the opportunity. We're going to take a short break here on In the Gate, but when we come back, what if you could actually watch a steward's inquiry on live television? What would you think they would say? What would you think of what they say? It happened recently overseas. Will it ever happen here? Stay with us. Welcome back to the In the Gate podcast. You know, there's no such thing as being slightly pregnant. You either are or you aren't. But in New York State, there is under consideration a movement to partially ban the diuretic Lasix from races in the state. New York State was the last, really, in the 1980s 
to allow the controversial diuretic Lasix, which drains water from a horse's capillaries so that he can run without bleeding in the lungs. It is not allowed anywhere other than the United States and Canada, but horsemen here in North America swear by it and would practically die on the sword to keep it. But New York State is considering eliminating it in some races, but maybe not all. Is that like being slightly pregnant, and will such a thing ever really come to pass? For that and other questions surrounding the sport these days, we welcome in a friend we haven't had on this show in quite a while, and it hit me that we haven't really spoken with Teresa Gennaro, who operates the Brooklyn Backstretch blog and does a terrific job doing it. And so, welcome back, Teresa. What do you think of New York State legislators considering a partial ban on Lasix? Well, I don't think that they're looking at banning it. I think they're looking at, from what I could see, I was not at that meeting, but I read the transcript of it, and it looks like what they're trying to do is write it into the conditions of certain races, which is what Keeneland considered doing and is what Gulfstream did. So they weren't necessarily banning it. They were just saying... You know, as there are age conditions uh, and a variety of other conditions that horses have to meet to run in a certain race, from what I could tell for the New York State Gaming Commission, what they were talking about was higher level races, particularly grade ones, and writing into the conditions that if you wanted to run in it, you couldn't run on Lasix. So it didn't sound like there would be a ban on it, but that what they wanted to do was make high-level races free of that medication. Now, I guess uh, Matt Hegarty in the Daily Racing Forum reported this, that at the Keeneland meet you referred to, the problem was that the racetrack was trying to authorize which races could and couldn't have Lasix, and that there are laws in place that prohibit the businesses from making that decision. It has to be made by the state. So I guess in this case, New York State would have to take it up based on all the interactions you've had with the powers that be in the state of New York. How much do you think this stands a chance of really happening? Practically zero, uh, I would think. <laughs> you know, I could be wrong, but I mean, what, you, what you're looking at is there's an awful lot of competition for horses. You know, we know that the full crop is down. We know that betters complain about short fields. We see graded stakes races worth a whole bunch of money that attract only five or six horses. If New York on its own decided to make some of its graded stakes races Lasix free, there would be nothing to stop trainers who believe that their horses need Lasix to just say, well, then I'm not going to race in New York. You know, I've got other options. There's a grade one race in California or Kentucky or Florida or Illinois that I can run in. So I think, what, you know, this was brought up a couple of years ago by the New York State Gaming Commission. They had a, a several-hour Lasix forum at which at least one, and I believe several, of New York's racing commissioners admitted that they knew nothing about Lasix. And so what they wanted to do was have a forum with different panels where they could learn about it. So, I mean, that's, it's not, it's not a great position to start from, from saying this is a subject I don't know much about, but I want to make policy on it. 
so we've gone we've gone from there and one of the commissioners that transcript was it was interesting to read because a lot of the speakers weren't identified so it was hard to know exactly who was espousing what position but one of the commissioners you know brought up the fact that since that time in Saratoga the gaming commission has done very little about this. They haven't moved forward in their study of LASIK at all. And I believe what's been proposed is that this is something that they will return to at their Saratoga meeting, which will be sometime this summer. And there seemed to be a little bit of momentum, at least on the part of, of a couple of the commissioners, to doing this at Saratoga, where people really care about racing, where the sport gets a lot of attention. And there, there definitely seemed to be some enthusiasm for taking this up there. But, I mean, imagine it. I mean, if we're going to talk about Saratoga and the New York State Gaming Commission enacted a statute or a rule by which all grade one races, and that's what they talked about at that meeting, were to be run LASIK free. What happens to the Travers? Yeah, sure. You grade know? one race. Yep. I mean, do do people just skip it? Do they choose to run without it? Does it, you know, make other races like the Haskell and the Pennsylvania Derby become more attractive options because the horses can run on LASIK there? We've also seen horses travel abroad and run beautifully without LASIK. Tappan won at Royal Ascot last year. We've seen U.S. horses win in Dubai where LASIK isn't permitted. So it's possible that, that you would be able to field a full field of competitive good horses in those grade one races. But it seems to me that doing it unilaterally, especially at that top level, would get a lot of resistance, I would think. And don't forget Lady Aurelia and others winning this year at Royal Ascot. And we'll get sure. to Royal Ascot in a couple of minutes. But you mentioned, of course, Saratoga and Del Mar, which are next on the hit parade for horse racing this summer. And, you know, as we start the two biggest meets in the country, the numbers say that both of them last year experienced rises in deaths among horses mm-hmm. during racing and training hours during each of those six-week meets. And those rates, 2.42 per thousand starts at Del Mar and 1.8 at Saratoga, the national average has gone down from 1.92 five years ago to 1.52 last year. What do you make of that? I think it's really hard to look at one year and try to draw any conclusions. Saratoga sort of has a history of having pretty bad summers of fatalities and then of having kind of spectacular ones with with very, very low rates. And I think even though, you know, 12 horses, 14 horses dying over the course of a meet is terrible and it sounds really shocking and, you know, none of us who have to witness that or deal with it I think, ever get used to doing it. It is technically, scientifically, still a very, very small sample size. And when you break it down even further to where where and when the injuries happened, it's really hard to find patterns. Some of the breakdowns happened on the turf course. Some of them happened on the dirt course. Some of them happened on the training track. Some of them happened during training hours. Some of them happened during races. Some were heart attacks. Some were muscular skeletal injuries. So when you have so many variables in its one season that you're looking at, I think it's really, really hard to be able to look at them, look at the data and say, okay, we, can, we know what's going on here. 
you know, New York does now have its own equine injury database where it keeps track of all horses that are injured during racing and that are fatally injured during racing and training. And they frequently put out reports on, you know, conclusions they've drawn after doing necropsies on the horses that have died. But, you know, in the past when there have been a bunch of breakdowns, I'm thinking back to about 2012, 2013 at Aqueduct, there were a number of medication and other rules that were put in place by the New York State Gaming Commission. And you did see a reduction in fatalities at Aqueduct. But as much as we want to, you know, as much as we really want to be able to point our finger and go, this is what happened, and this is why, and this is what we're going to do about it, it's it's pretty elusive. Well, the good news is that New York and other places across the country are starting to keep better records, and so hopefully people with higher pay grades than ours will be able to figure this stuff out over the course of time with larger samples. And that's at least the data part of it. We're talking with... Teresa Gennaro of the Brooklyn Backstretch, by the way. And I looked at, and I'm sure you did too, the Royal Ascot meet on NBCSN, shown here in this country for the first time in its entirety on something other than a simulcast channel. And on the last day, it was absolutely fascinating that there was a steward's inquiry on a race that was the Diamond Jubilee Stakes, where the jockeys were called in to talk to the stewards, and the host broadcaster in England, ITV, which NBCSN essentially took that feed and wrapped around it, ITV showed the entire inquiry. You heard the questions that the stewards asked the jockeys, and you heard the jockeys' responses, and you saw their body language and everything. And I was like, I've never seen that before on television where you could actually see that. I wonder what the climate in racing in the U.S. might be now with racing people presumably having watched the same thing that we watched. I don't really, I can't say for certain how the steward system works in the U.K. I don't know whom the stewards represent. I know, for instance, in New York, there are three stewards that represent three totally different entities. There's one from the New York State Gaming Commission, there's one from the New York State Racing Association, which runs the tracks, and there's one from the Jockey Club. So in order to televise it, you would need the buy-in of all three of those entities, um, and obviously of the stewards themselves, and potentially of the jockeys and trainers, the Horsemen's Association and, and the jockeys, because they are also, you know, their behavior and their reasoning is being, is being put on display as well. Horse racing in, in the U.S. seems to lean more towards secrecy than transparency. So I would, I would be surprised whether something like that were to happen here. I know that fans reacted really positively to it. For me, another question is, I mean, horse racing seems to be the only sport where you talk to the athletes to determine whether a penalty was perpetrated. You know, in hockey or in football, you don't call the player over and ask them if they tripped the, the other guy. The referees are the experts. They look at it and they make the call. So for me, a bigger question is, how are stewards using the input from the jockeys, who obviously have every reason to dissemble when they're you know, being confronted and asked those questions? And so I would like to sort of see that answered before we go 
be go televising. You know, why why do the athletes themselves play a role in determining whether an infraction was caused? Well, sure, but you also remember, for example, the Breeders' Cup Classic. Bayern shared belief in California yep. Chrome, and everybody thought Bayern was going to be taken down, but he wasn't. It would really be fascinating to be able to look inside that room where the stewards are adjudicating that and hear their rationale. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree at all. I think it would. I think it would do a lot to help people who participate in the game believe in its integrity. Now, in some places, like in New York and I believe California and perhaps other places as well, the stewards do publish a write-up after they make a they make a determination. I recognize that's not the same as hearing them deliberate. But at least, you know, it's, it's at least something. And I do think that people would, I think people would appreciate seeing it, but that doesn't necessarily mean, I think, that it's going to happen. Well, it's been a long time since we've had our last ice age. Things in horse racing, particularly in this country, seem to move at about that pace. So perhaps by the time of the next ice age, we might have some movement on these issues. But instead, we'll just keep keeping on and... Thank you so much, Teresa Gennaro, for sharing your insight on that. Thanks again so much. Thanks. It was my pleasure. Our thanks to Teresa Gennaro and to Javier Castellano. A little over a century ago, horse racing was threatened by the outlawing of gambling nationwide. Of course, that movement tightly wound to the alcohol prohibition, and soon both of them were summarily cast aside. Now racing's being threatened again, this time by too much gambling, casinos, online games, and the lottery. So if you subscribe to keeping your friends close but enemies closer, then many tracks are where they need to be. Because many have casinos on the premises, and they're run by third-party groups who needed a way in. The racetrack's gambling licenses paved the way, but now casinos are trying to shed horse racing like dead skin. I don't think racing will go away completely. It's ingrained, but relying on a casino fund windfall has made it easier to fund operations and suppress the hungriness that drives innovation for the betterment of all. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well, which services the iTunes Store and TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app that you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's In The Gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you next time.